Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studio, this is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And I'm Vicker. Welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast, a show that shows you what's behind the collar. That's right. Where we take a moment and for pastors to speak off the collar in a podcast. <laughs> Inside joke, Vicar. I don't know if you know about that one. Not yet. You have to go and listen to that one. So how you doing, Berg? Living the dream. Living the dream. I want you to know I'm sacrificing something on for the show. So uh, okay, this is this is my dedication to the podcast. So I've been, you know, I've been talking about having these chronic hives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I take uh, some antihistamines. Yep. And I noticed that like the ones that they don't make you drowsy, yeah, the new ones, but they they slow my brain down a little bit. They make it so like I should maybe be making a wisecrack right now. Something's there that I should joke about, and then it's not there. It's weird. Have there happened to you, Vicar, before? Not that I can recall. So, so my dedication to the show is, I brought my antihistamine with me for me to take after recording. So that I, uh, so I can make my wisecracks. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're suffering through. <laughs> we all have our crosses to bear. Right. And by the way, hey, what do you think of our new logo? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Vicar? It's pretty sweet. I like the, the way it uh, represents the canceling culture, too. Yeah, that was all Peter's idea, so... And then uh, Zach? Well, it wasn't just my idea. We have our graphic designer, Zach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh definitely. I mean, I was like, "What about if we did this?" He get he went, "Yes, hang on, let me make that." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and even the new color scheme, I think, is really, really neat. It kind of keeps the old, but it also better defines who we are. I think, mm-hmm. don't you? I think so. And Peter, what 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 do you think will be coming with that new logo and album art? Well, we're, we're gonna see. Uh, hopefully we can get some merchandise. We've, we've talked about it, but we haven't really carried through, but the Peters got new branding, new branding. That's right. (laughs) Let's talk about a brand for a minute. (laughs) That's something you want to hear from a pastor, right? (laughs) How's your brand doing? Berg? Yeah. I, uh, I never thought we'd get to that point on this podcast. (laughs) Feel kind of dirty. Like Joel Osteen. (laughs) Vicar, how's your brand? <laughs> I don't have one yet, but you know that new logo would look nice on a jet. Yeah, you're right. And also, you know what look good? This is what we should do. This would be harder to get. What if we got uh, uh, clerical shirts, clergy shirts, mm-hmm. with that on the shoulder, our logo? <laughs> It'd be pretty rad, man. Maybe some Velcro patches. You could just slap it on. There we there go. There we go. Well, and then you can go retro. Use the old logo sometimes. Yeah, no. Hey, Peter, I an idea just off the top of my dome because I'm that way. Go ahead. You know how we have the color or the blue in the background? Mm-hmm. What if the color changed with the church here? It's not good for the brand. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Corporate. <laughs> Shut down. Yeah. Man, the suits keep slowing us down, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, 
Um, we should probably talk about the text. I got a lemonade. What you got there, Berg? You got uh, some... Uh, a root beer? A mug? That's what we need to do a, a, a mug, or like a root beer taste off, too. Oh, that'd be fun. What do you got? Good. It smells like some coffee there. Yeah, it's some... I think it's buttered rum-flavored coffee. It's not great, but it's okay. It you sounds know? like my favorite kind of coffee. Free? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kind of coffee you wouldn't actually walk to the store and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy myself some... Buttered some, rum coffee. It was on sale. Okay. Maybe Wise Buys? Have you been to Wise Buys yet? No. You need to go, man. All right, That's educate awesome. the vicar. Educate the vicar. Oh, man. You can buy so much cheap food there. They had these big, like, 25-pound hams uh, for 99 cents a pound for meat. Man, it's awesome. Sounds good. It really is kind of like going to the food co-op. In a lot of ways, yeah. And it's really, really inexpensive. Uh, you just don't look too much at the uh, the expiration dates. Just suggestions. Just like the co-op. Just like the co-op. <laughs> right, you survived so far. See, they just want you to feel at home, right? They actually just run this for the vicar. So that way you guys can feel like you're still in the fort shopping at the co-op. Show us where it's at. We'll be there. <laughs> so w- w- what are we preaching on? This is uh, Trinity 15? 16. 16. We're recording a little ahead of time, so... Luke chapter 7, um, verses 11 to 17, it's Jesus raises a widow's son. Why don't you go ahead and read that? It's a shorter one. Okay. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. You know, it you know, makes my odd brain think of when I think of this. Imagine if it didn't work. <laughs> Walking over, tapping the coffin, and rise, get up. Okay, I'm just going to go over there now. <laughs> yeah, I think that would have some further... What would the further theological implications of that be? <laughs> well, then, then he isn't the son of God. Yeah. So, minor problem with that. Yeah, just a little bit. I'm sure that's somewhere in the Gnostic Gospels. <laughs> no, there in like the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus just tells uh, Peter because he's complaining about Mary. He says there, uh, you know, Peter's like, "Hey, why is Mary following after us? She's a woman and not fit to live." And Jesus says, "I will make her male." Really? Yeah. So there you go. You got your first trannies <laughs> in uh, this first century uh, uh, Gnostic Gospel. So. So we will be hearing more of that gospel, I'm sure. Can you explain? Can you explain the Gnostic gospels? Because people do hear about these, like on with all the conspiracy theories. There are people who might hear something of, yeah, you should hear the gospels that no one's telling you about. Yeah, as if it's being kept from them. Right. 
it's just hilarious. Well, they made this movie. It was called Stigmata back in the 1990s and uh, really focusing on the Gospel of Thomas. And yeah, I actually went through the Gospel of Thomas once and I had my nifty highlighters and I highlighted all the ones that were actually found in the Bible. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, kind of started, and then I marked all the ones that, you know, it kind of sounds like Jesus, but not really. Mm-hmm. Like it's not in the Bible. And then I used another highlighter to mark the parts that are like super terrible. So the thing is, is that everybody knows about the Gnostic Gospels. You can go on Amazon and buy the Nag Hammadi documents uh, for, I don't know, 25 to 50 bucks. You could probably even download it on your Kindle for next to nothing. But Gnosticism is not Christian. Gnosticism is a philosophical movement that uh, claimed to be Christian, but really wasn't. And so... There's a reason why they were left out. Yeah, and there are a lot of different variations of um, of uh, Gnosticism, right? It's not just one movement. You have um, the Valentinians on the one hand, and just all of these other different groups. But they all share kind of common presuppositions. And the common presupposition is that um, this world, the material world, is evil. The reason why there is so much suffering in the world is because it's made out of matter, out of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we suffer is that we are these little bits of light. We're souls from the spiritual realm, and we are trapped in these rotting meat sacks. Okay? Mm -hmm. So this universe was actually created by uh, kind of a failed god, an abortion, they called him. Uh, and he's known as the Demiurge. And so basically what it does is it inverts like all of the things that you read in the Bible. So uh, anyway, so the way that salvation works is that Jesus has come to uh, give you this special knowledge, and this is where you get the word gnosis, gnosis mm-hmm. for, for Gnosticism. And this special knowledge is only for certain people, kind of the elect, kind of the, right. the elite group. And so, like I said, um, a lot of these things become, um, it really inverts the way that the Old Testament works, because, of course, the Old Testament God is a bad guy. <laughs> right. Right? A murderer. So, so who is the uh, the hero in, um, in uh, the fall? The serpent, mm-hmm. because he brings knowledge. And the fall was actually a good thing for Adam and Eve, you know? So, and it goes through John the Baptist is a bad guy, Jesus is a good guy, um, Moses is bad. Um, what else? And their their interpretations of the scripture are just cray cray. So, um, speaking of death, uh, there's a text that I was just talking with a buddy about uh, that from Irenaeus's Against Heresies, and uh, it's about the twelve year old girl who dies, mm-hmm. and Jesus goes to uh, resurrect her, and uh, the point behind that parable for the Gnostics is not that Jesus raised the dead, because obviously why would you put a soul of light back into a rotting meat sack? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't, right? Right. So this is obviously an allegory, and the allegory is is that um, here Jesus is awakening the divine Sophia. The divine wisdom. The divine wisdom, who was one of these aeons uh, who tried to know the unknowable father and then gave birth to the abortion we know as the Demiurge. So there is quite a... Seems reasonable. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then you have like the infancy gospels where Jesus is just using his powers willy-nilly. He makes like a clay bird and makes it come alive, and uh, he strikes people dead who try to teach him the alphabet. Um, and the Muslims really pick up on this because this is the way that the Quran talks about Christ, too, that he actually comes out of the womb speaking. So if anyone is trying to give validity, these are the Gospels that the Church has been hiding from you, it's because it's not even it's not even close to Christian. Yeah, I mean, this isn't even in the same ballpark. Right. And they I, were written later, too. They were written later. There are a lot of things that really cast doubt on the uh, veracity of these documents, precisely because they don't actually fit with anything else that the Bible actually teaches. So getting back to the text, then. Uh, so Jesus raises a son at Nain. It's not just, what do you call it, a meat sack? Rotting Some meat sack. Rotting meat sack. A prison. Well, you know, and I was reading this on one of those um, sites on, on uh, Facebook, and it says, you know, your skeleton is just trapped by all of this. You know, a ghost, uh, oh, how did they put it? A ghost is trapped and just waiting to get free. <laughs> Basically, when you, you know, and that's the way that the Gnostics Sounds like write. a t- trip to Taco Bell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it's... Uh, you okay, but, Vicar? Yep. Okay. He just wishes there was a Taco Bell here. Wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> oh, I miss Taco Bell. You have all of this authentic Mexican stuff around. I know, but Taco Bell. <laughs> anyway, Maybe to rub it in, I'll, I'll go get some for lunch. Ooh. Do you know how amazing the Taco away. Bell Cantina was in Florida? They're making a new one in Kansas City. I'm so excited. There's going to be one. A Taco Bell that serves alcohol? Oh, that's nice. Anyway, so um, what was your point again? What are you trying to say? Uh, my point is uh, um, that it, the resurrection, the giving of life. Now, this isn't like the full resurrection because, you know, when the son of Nain, he wasn't raised in glory. He just mm-hmm. became the same dude, right? Yep. Um, but it does strike me something that, that we do have a common deb- debate about amongst Christians and our people struggle with, and that is, I think in this account, there is shown respect for the body that was dead. Yep. Because uh, um, not next necessarily in a Gnostic way, there is a little bit of a an idea that uh, with cremation, for example, that the body, you know, the, your meat sack <laughs> is... Uh, that your body is actually a prison. Right. And now you're free. And uh, that, that body was kind of useless. It's useless. You can't use it anymore. So let's just burn it up or something like that. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I say that's completely Gnostic. I think that... Is that completely Gnostic yeah. to you? I, I think that uh, a lot of people have been infected by this sort of Gnostic train of thought that, oh, well, I'm done with my body. I'm going to go to heaven and live forever, which is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what we confess. It's not what we confess every Sunday. We confess that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if uh, pastors were just really not very good at teaching this, because think about it. The Bible talks way more about the resurrection than it ever does about the interim state, the state between death and mm-hmm. Christ's return, his second coming. Because even when you try to explain that, you're going to run into some kind of heresy. 
<laughs> explaining that interim. Yeah, I mean, you know, what do we know? We know that um, it is better to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. Better to d- depart and be with Christ. Uh, you know, there are a few Bible passages, but all of them focus on the resurrection. All of the comfort that's given when we what we read at funerals from First Thessalonians mm-hmm. four. That's all about the resurrection, the second coming of Christ, and uh, the dead in Christ rising first. And he says, "Comfort yourselves with these words." So, vicar, uh, when you preach, you catching all this wisdom. I'm working on it. Okay, when you preach a funeral, preach a lot on the fact that that body will rise again, a real physical resurrection with a body. A lot of people think, well, you hear this too. It's kind of a, you know, oh, grandma, they're watching down on me. It's just all this spiritual googly moogly stuff. Like your favorite hymn, there are holes in the floor of heaven. Right. Yeah, so no, no, you really need to focus on the fact that there is a real bodily resurrection. It was important to Jesus when Thomas doubted, right? Oh, yes. and oh, and preach against uh, we become angels. You have to, because it's such a pervasive, terrible lie. Is that a big one out there? You hear it all the time. You see it on Facebook. You hear it from people. It's just, it's wicked, you know, that as, as if we are uh, morphing. You know, we're like the hungry little caterpillar, right? And we get through life, and then we enter our cocoon, and then we come out this big spiritual butterfly. And it's not true. Is it Paul that talked about how death was like falling asleep in Christ? They're just asleep until the resurrection. Right, Yeah, and and Jesus does too, right? Um, In Christ, and I think too, that's an important thing, because I was listening to the radio today, and I shouldn't have listened to the radio. Uh, all the obits were on there, and how many like celebrations of life were on mm-hmm. there? And it's like, okay, first of all, that's very works righteous, because you are focusing primarily on that person's life and accomplishments. I mean, we never have celebrations of life for like stillborns, mm-hmm. right? That's true, I mean, yeah. think about it, right? We never... I mean, it's really kind of elitist. And secondly... <clears throat> It's really depressing because if that's all you're focusing on, oh, yeah, Grandma used to bake the best bread, and guess what, guys? You're never going to experience that this side of heaven if you believe in heaven. It's it's kind of like, I, you know, I always get a little depressed during a, a graduation or something about graduation parties mm-hmm. in the sense of it's like, you know, like your life is over, <laughs> You know, I, I know like your 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 one part is closing, but like you take a hundred pictures of the senior. We we never did that. Yeah, but, well, a stage of life is ending, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it's you like you can never go back. You take a hundred pictures of you know. It's like uh, you know, let's get as many pictures of of you as we can before you get ugly. You know, this is There's this a, is the epitome of your life and your your beauty. So it's right. like your first funeral. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a funeral kind of, and because you go to you go to a viewing, what do you have? A table of pictures, mm-hmm. right? You go to a graduation, a, a guest what do you book, have? right? You go to graduation, what do you have? Speeches, right? Yeah, and you know, and the people say to the mom and dad, "Well, I'm sorry for your loss because you know they're going away," and it really is something that reminds me 
you know, and it's a celebration of all of all these accomplishments. And then you're kind of done with those accomplishments. Yep. You know, you, some might try to hold on to those by, oh, I'm going to go to college. You know, I'm a margin, marginal, margin. I'm not a very good baseball player, but I found some college that I'm can an, use me. Right. I'm going to red shirt on and see if I can make right, it. Right. For some, some podunk college. It's kind of like when I'm, it's, I think, my second or third favorite Twilight Zone episode where this guy basically does a time warp back to his hometown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tries to go home again and it just, he can't. He can't go home again. You know, he, uh, and he tries to, you know, he lives in just this nostalgic past and it actually makes him more sad than anything. It's really a great episode. But that's the problem is that celebrations of life simply look backward. And people try to change it. Oh, well, it's a celebration of the life they have in Christ. No, it's not. That is not how these things are done. In fact, if you want to celebrate, I mean, look at this woman, right, in our text today. Do you think she was having a celebration of life for her son? I, I doubt it. No, of course she wasn't, right? <laughs> she is. Uh, she has watched the entire future die. Maybe that might be my sermon. Uh, Jesus ending the celebration of life. <laughs> Yes, I love it. That's actually a great uh, because you know she's a widow, so there there aren't going to be any more children. Because mm-hmm. isn't that just the terrible thing you tell people who lose a baby in the womb? Oh well, you know you you can have more, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of a cold comfort, right? But she doesn't even have that option, mm-hmm. right? And he's the only son, so she's done, right? Not only has has have all of her hopes and dreams died for the future. But now the present looks pretty bleak too, because there's nobody to take care of her. This is why the Christian church has so many uh, um, regulations and so many admonitions for caring for widows, because at this time, most widows had no support. Yeah, And so they were living off of the charity of the congregation members. Mm -hmm. Which wasn't always happening. I mean, that was something that was... The care for the widows was really a, a changing point because... Right. Well, and, you know, that's why... and Because LWML always uses the widow's might, you know? They talk about their might boxes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But to really understand that is this woman has no support. She has no money. She doesn't have Social Security. She doesn't have a pension. She doesn't have land. She's got nothing. She's got these two coins that are worth less than a day's wage. Well, couldn't she at least get a job at a gas station or something? Yeah, I wonder how that worked back then. She could have been uh, feeding the camels, right? Um, But, and so that's the thing. It's like, you know, women putting your change into a jar, right, for the mites, it's not the same thing. You are not giving everything you have uh, in faith that God will actually take care of you. So so when someone says that uh, the the church is anti-women, if you go back... And all the the commands to to care for for widows, right? And Jesus' compassion here, and the parables of the widows, and you know, like um, for prayer, who does he use? He uses a widow who is going to uh, a judge mm-hmm. and just pesters him time and time again, right? right? He does this stuff all the time. Um, so, so Jesus reigns reigns on the parade of the celebration of life. And it's hilarious, right? Because it says he has compassion, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes up to her and he says, stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Vicar, don't do that. Okay, if I take you to a funeral, don't just... Stop crying. Stop crying. Yeah, get over yourselves, man. I mean, it, it seems like the opposite of what compassion would do. But in a sense, it's exactly what compassion uh, should do. And another thing that, uh, along with your idea of how we think of death, that, that we also think of, is is the fact that we try and make death a flowery thing. We don't call it a death. What do we say? You passed, passed away. away. Right? And... And we, we kind of glorify it. You know, it's a circle of life. You know, you can't have life without death. And and uh, the problem is that... It's all lies. Death it's is all, horrible. It, it is. It's all lies, and it, death is the great enemy. I mean... Right? It's the last enemy to be conquered. Think of all that Jesus did to end death. Mm-hmm. So, so if you want to celebrate life... You celebrate life by caring for what God gave you in your bodies and caring for others and protecting the lives that we do have and not just saying, oh, it's just a circle, you know, it's all a part of life, but but uh, valuing it from the very beginning as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, celebrating life as a gift from God that he designed for us to be eternal. Yeah, and it should never be associated with any sort of funeral or rite of Christian burial. Because to me, it's a very naive thing, and it's a very offensive thing because you're not calling a thing what it is. Like, you should be sad at a funeral. You should be sad at a funeral. You should be horrified by the last enemy. And if you forget that, then what you're doing is you're actually making your Savior small. You're taking what he came to do, and you're turning it into something that it's not. Or even even glorifying death in this way that somehow God desires it. Right, or or saying stupid things, because people give all of these uh, false comforts, right? And they think they're being comforting. So they say things like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he really lived a long life. It's like, no, he could have lived forever. Mm-hmm. One thing, you know? one, one comfort I do is, I do have with that is, is uh, I, I do say to, to, to someone who's really mourning the loss, of someone and of saying, well, you're sad because you realize that God did give you a gift in your husband, for example, mm-hmm. and a father. So you're sad because because you realize that what a precious gift you had, right, in that person. Yep, that's and that's true. a little different than just a celebration of life. Or then saying things like, you know, oh, he was, you know, he was old, or oh, he lived a good life, or a long life, or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's like, well. What happens when they don't live a long life? Right. I mean, what's the comfort when they don't live a long life, or if they die of cancer, or if they die like this boy? Right. And even in aging, when people are struggling with it, that that really is, in a sense, the sadness of death. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a proleptic, mm-hmm. uh, a foreshadowing of what death really is. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's important that Christ stood in our place and suffered these things, so that way death no longer, for the Christian, no longer has the wrath of God attached to it. It's still a consequence of of our sin, Mm -hmm. but it no longer has God's wrath, and therefore we do not have to fear it. Right. Because he has transformed it. Mm -hmm. Um, Every once in a while, you get someone, maybe you've encountered this, where, you know, they're they're old, and they're kind of tired of everything, mm -hmm. (laughs) and all their loved, most of their loved ones 
you know, that they, they care about, whether it's their own siblings and friends or spouse are all gone. And then they find out that they have some disease that will probably take them. Mm-hmm. And they're happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, don't you get tired of life, though, too? Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, that's why we need to go on vacation, because, <laughs> because yeah, life is tiring. Like, if you are living as a Christian— you're, it's a constant struggle, right? You struggle mm-hmm. against the sin inside yourself. You mourn at the sin mm-hmm. outside of yourself. So tell that person, okay, time to celebrate your life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's... And they're like, what, what I'm is, tired of people having to change my diapers, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, yeah, celebrate your life, right? <laughs> celebrate that your wife is dead and, you know, you're locked up in a nursing home. But but the, it seems, to the one hand, to the listener, it sounds like a very pessimistic view. But it really isn't. No. It really is more looking ahead. There's something better in a real life that Jesus has won for you by his death and resurrection. Right. So it's not pessimistic to hate all those things. No. It is pointing to a real hope. And it doesn't detract from any of the good that we have in this life. The thing with this life, though, is that it's going to come to an end. Like, all of those joys are going to come to an end. But in heaven, those joys never come to an end. In the resurrection to come, those joys will never come to an end. You will never die. You will be with the Lord forever. Just go and read uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's beautiful. It's beautiful what the world is going to be like after God destroys it and then recreates it. So, Vicar, how are you going to preach this? (laughs) Well, he doesn't have to preach this one, right? Well, he'll have to preach it someday. Yeah. What 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 has connected with you in this discussion? Definitely the the resurrection that this points to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the only words Jesus speaks in this pericope are "Don't cry," and "Young man, I say to you, get up." Mm-hmm. Kind of brings the main points right there. Our uh, sorrows should be over because Jesus will resurrect us. Mm-hmm. Good on the last day. Bullhagen. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's kind of what we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that, uh, um, Jesus... Have you, have you ever done the uh, homiletical plot at all? No. I think you'd like it. Because it's like doing a sermon like a movie. Okay. Okay. We And we should maybe talk about it sometime, because it's kind let's, of a Let's neat... do this now, because I was going to do, mm-hmm. um, a, uh, a, a sermon workshop idea thing today where I was going to talk about a concept of using in preaching that I talked over with Vicar, but this might go along with that. So what's your... Okay. Um, well, do you want to start with yours, and then we can... Uh... Yeah. Um, I'll start with mine. So uh, Vicar was uh, locked on his door. I can always tell when the Vicar's deep in thought, um, because he isn't playing solitaire on his computer. Ha. <laughs> <Huh. laughs> and uh, I asked him, well, what you... he's thinking about his, his theme... Because I, I make them do a one sentence theme, uh, and then that need I look at before they write the sermon, and so he's kind of working on that. But he said, you know, I'm trying to figure out what my angle is on the sermon, and so I, I kind of taught him something I've learned over the years of what I call uh, um, general specificity, specificity. I think that way I can't always say it. So what that means is is when you're preparing a sermon or thinking about a sermon, um, think of someone in a particular situation, okay? 
Um, so let's say someone is uh, struggling with, use an example, uh, a family issue. Say there's someone, you can think of someone who is not getting along and there's anger in a family or something. And you say, okay, now what would that person need to hear? Just an individual from this text. How would you speak it to them? And so you can get very specific with it, mm-hmm. okay? Where you can talk about their specific situation without actually telling what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say um, an example might be, okay, I'm talking to someone, thinking of someone who's really afraid of COVID. Okay, think of an individual. So I might say uh, to that person, you know, how... Christ Jesus overwhelms anxiety, that he is the God of life. And he doesn't, we can talk about the same thing, things we talked about with the son at Nain. He came to do something about death. I can think of all sorts of things. So without actually naming the, sp- the, the specific situation, I can talk all around that issue so that the, the listener of the sermon, what they will wind up doing is placing themselves in that situation, and they'll think of whatever it is that uh, caused them to feel that way in a different situation. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, another example, let's say um, someone is struggling with a, a, a sexual sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, so you, you think about a person in the chair, and you can say, you know, your identity is is what what Christ called you. You are you are defined by Jesus' blood. And you could say um, that you are forgiven, and He sanctifies your eyes from what they see, and He makes you a new creation. And you could even talk about temptation of not putting yourself in certain uh, uh, situations that can lead the temptation, and all those things. And in my mind, I'm thinking of a specific situation. Mm-hmm. But if I say that to the listener of the sermon, they're going to think of all sorts of issues where they had those things and they dealt with it, even if it's completely different. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm being very specific in using God's Word to talk of a specific situation, but I'm being general enough that anyone who's listening will fill in the blanks with whatever they need to hear, whatever sin that they are going through. And what that does is it, for me, in, in using that kind of thought process, and sometimes the person sitting in the chair is me, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense? Yep. Or I apply it to my own situation. Sometimes I, I can think of someone I, I had talked to, a family member, a friend, I mean, and I even used told Vicar, you could even use a, a movie character mm-hmm. where the reason why a movie character identifies with you because you, you're putting yourself in that movie character's shoes. Right. There's something very identifiable. You see yourself in that. So even what would a, a movie character that really stuck with me, what would that person need to hear from this text mm-hmm. without actually naming it and, and being, you know, it's specifically talking about this particular sin or situation without naming that, but being very specific in how it applies to that person or situation, can really... Because people have told me when I've tried this once or once or twice I've heard, you know, I, you, good, I thank you for your sermon. I really helped me when I thought about this. 
And I was amazed at how they were able to apply my thought in a situation that I had no idea it could apply to mm-hmm. uh, because they were they were able to identify. So, so what that does then is it helps you when you're writing your sermon, it helps you then to to be a little have a little more nuance, which is something vicars struggle with, because you know it's kind of, kind of like a law and gospel and all the things that you need to have in there, but it's the law always feels feels general, or you're you're trying to come up with something that someone is you think they might be doing or feeling, but if you can do it in such a way where they're able to place themselves in that world of scripture and you're you in your own writing you're 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 processing it and thinking to a, a particular person a situation that the text might bring up in your mind and then people then generally will fill in the blanks as they as they listen to it so that that was the kind of the idea that vicar and I had been talking about it and and so vicar your reaction to that when i kind of discussed that with you um, now you didn't have much time between then to work on your theme, but is that something that you think will help you as you kind of to tease out what your theme of your sermon will be? Oh yeah, and I think the problem with being a vicar too is you just don't know the people yet, as the pastor would, so you have to kind of make up these um, these characters that you want to appeal to uh, with with. Translate, helping translate the word of God for them, and that helped me just kind of think of it from somebody else's position, and think outside the box a little bit. And that, that's why, by the way, um, every pastor will tell you one thing that helps them write a sermon is visiting. Wouldn't you say? Sometimes, yeah, because uh, it it helps you. You don't always realize what people are struggling with sometimes until you talk to them. You hear struggles of, of things that, well, I never thought of that would be a struggle for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So so what was your, uh, as we, we take a step into the preacher's workshop here? <clears throat> well, I uh, when I went to the Bugenhagen Conference, which uh, you should go to, and when you become a pastor, you should go to, um, it's a great, uh, very hands-on, pragmatic conference of pastors. And I went to one of the... Um, one of the workshops, and one of the workshops uh, was uh, a buddy of mine who was talking about uh, the homiletical plot, okay? It is mm-hmm. actually a sermon form that I found fascinating, and I I use it every once in a while. Um, the, uh, the homiletical plot is kind of like a sermon movie, okay? Okay. And what it does is it it tells a story, and this the my buddy uses it so that way he not only um, can draw people in, but also so that way he can better remember the sermon so he can preach without a manuscript. Hmm. So the way that the so the way that the uh, um, homiletical plot works is that it it kind of follows a movie plot. Okay, so you start off with an oops, right, upsetting the equilibrium. So you begin by talking about the pro the problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what would be the problem in the reading for today? Oh, the widow's son was dead. Right. The widow's son was dead, right? It's not like it should be, right? And then the ug is, it's like the problem gets even worse, right? The problem mm-hmm. intensifies. Here the preacher allows the problem or the challenge or the question of the text to get worse, worse before the resolution is revealed, 
right? And I think you could do this in this text with in two ways, right? How does it make it worse? Well, she is a widow. Mm-hmm. She is, uh, this is her only son. Mm-hmm. And then some dude walks up to her and tells her to stop crying, right? Mm-hmm. As they're having the funeral sermon, right? Which makes it even worse. As if the church is indifferent, as if Jesus, as if God himself is indifferent to her pain and to mm-hmm. her suffering. Well, one thing that I've, 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 I've actually, I, now that you say it, I've done this kind of preaching mm-hmm. in, in a couple of ways. One way is, is that homiletical plot where I will actually tell the plot of the story before I even get to the text. So what I do is I talk about uh, maybe for this one, maybe death, okay? And, um, or the helpless nature of the widow. Mm-hmm. And I'll start off by simply explaining, like, we have this problem, or you might have this problem of loss or death or helplessness. And I, and I expand and I expand. And what I do is, is I explain it to them in such a way that mirrors the, the biblical account, mm-hmm. using maybe some of the same languages, language as it as I would when I preach the text itself. Yep. So that when they are involved with that that plot, so to speak, then when I get to the text, then it becomes like, oh yeah, okay. Like as soon as you just start in talking about the text, it it rings in where they're starting already to come to their own conclusions. See, what what you did there, I think, is almost more of a, a, a four-page sermon, which is another... Okay. So the four-page sermon is like page one is um, our experiences in the world, mm-hmm. right? Page two would be like the problem or the experiences of God's people. Page three would be God's experience, you know, what's the gospel, right, in the mm-hmm. text? And page four would be like, what's the gospel in our own lives? That's a that's kind of a little different form, which is really kind of neat, mm-hmm. you know, because you kind of do this almost— flashback sort of right where i I try try to by the end of the sermon to lead people to come up with their own conclusions Mm -hmm. so so what do you think that means then when you place a loved one in the grave what do you think it means now that jesus when jesus comes to you in his body and blood what what do you think this means now when uh, uh the guilt and shame of your sin is right there before your face what does this mean uh, when you re- realize that you have as very little control over your situation than you thought you did, and they they take, and they and they can just take what you've preached on them and then just immediately start answering their own questions. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, the oops. I'm sorry. I'm buttoning. Yeah, the oops, yep. and you have the, the oops, the and uber the oops, ug, right? Okay. And then you have the aha, which is the gospel right? Mm-hmm. How does this get resolved? Okay. And this is obviously when Jesus raises him from the dead, mm-hmm. right? When he raises the, the boy from the dead and gives him back to his mother. It's kind of the eureka moment. Okay. And so the we is experiencing the gospel. So what do the people of Jesus' day do? Mm-hmm. You know, they fear God and they praise his name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do, right? would be kind of the corollary, right? Mm-hmm. And do they do it rightly? 
that's the question too in this text. I mean, when they say a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people, I mean, do they actually understand what's going on? Right? Mm-hmm. And then you can actually make a kind of a leap to, you know, but we do actually know what is going on. Right. Right? We actually know that this is a foretaste of what is to come. This isn't a raising like when Elijah raises the Zarephath widow's son. Right? This is something, this is a foreshadowing of something much deeper, that Christ is the first fruits from the dead, and that mm-hmm. he can never die again. Right? I, I do like how this, uh, this, if someone wants to be more free from the manuscript, mm-hmm. can help in the sense of, I mean, everyone can tell a story. Uh, you know, I actually don't think everyone can tell a story. Okay. Not a good story. Um, and I think this is why there are so many books on storytelling. That's true. Because uh, I don't think in our day and age we're actually very good at telling stories because we don't tell stories. We're usually the spectators. So what do you think the, the best story from the podcast is so far? Pickle jar. <laughs> Pickle jar. That was that one was hilarious. <laughs> See, and Peter agrees with me. <laughs> yep. So so the we is the experiencing of the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, your conclusion is, yeah, it's like, okay, anticipating the consequences, right? How does this narrative, right, this whole loop that we've gone through, how are you better off than where you started before the problem, right? And uh, I think, you know, that's, and, and this is where your conclusions come from, right? That, mm-hmm. hey, that um, we too can fear God and rejoice um, because Christ, who has been raised from the dead, who died for our sins and was raised for our justification, mm-hmm. also promises new life to our bodies. And another good way of, uh, since we're get, getting deep into preaching, uh, preaching the preaching workshop, the other one that off that we talked earlier in the podcast, maybe a year and a half ago, is was it the seven step, the Ben Mays? Oh yeah, that is a great. Um, that is a great way of preaching, right? Because that is all about the applications of Scripture. You know, everyone wants to know how to apply the Bible, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, the Bible actually gives us a list of how to apply the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we only pay attention to the first part, right? That uh, all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. And then we forget, well, and it's pros- it's profitable mm-hmm. for doctrine, for teaching. And this is where, like, law and gospel come in, mm-hmm. is in the teaching. Right. Um, it is for reproving. It's for changing, what do I think about the world? Um, it is good for uh, um, for life, right? For instruction in righteousness right. or training so, in so righteousness. So not only addressing the bad theology, but also then going beyond that of, of what it, how you then address your life. Right. So to use like that method for preaching here, right? Um, so what would be the doctrine? The doctrine would be the resurrection of the body. Right. Or right. the divinity of Christ. The divinity of Christ would be another one, right? Mm-hmm. Second article, third article, right? Right. If you're going to use catechetical terminology. Um, what's the reproving? Uh, how does it actually change the way you think? Well, uh, it shows that death is not a termination of life it, or a termination of the soul, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it can. It's also It also reproves us in that death is not some happy thing or some transformation. It's actually an enemy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how does this text uh, change the way we live? Right. Um, well, these guys give praise to God, but they don't actually recognize what God has done. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and also, it also um, critiques us in excessive, over-excessive sorrow during funerals, too. I was going to say misplaced emotions. Yeah, misplaced emotion would be another text. one. Training in righteousness, prepare for death, right? Cling to Christ, who is the one who is able to raise the dead, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, what's the comfort in this? That um, Christ has conquered death, both in this text and upon the cross, right? Well, one uh, thing I like about this approach is, too, you know, uh, there is a— pastors can get in the habit of of uh, just, you, you know, focusing on the mirror of God's law, mm-hmm. just showing me my sin. When it's hard to—you read Paul's letters, how often does he use it as a mirror— how much? How often does he use it to address doctrine? How often mm-hmm. does he use to train in righteousness? Right. Husbands love your wives, things like that. Um, well, it's because we have this very existential view of the law. It's just like some murderer running in a back alley, stabbing you to death, and you know the gospel is the paramedic who comes and keeps you from bleeding out, mm-hmm. right? And that's that is a wrong use of the law. Um, the law actually does have something to say about. God's immutable will. It actually does have something to say about uh, how we ought to live our lives, um, not in a legalistic sense, as if we are earning or gaining salvation or even keeping our salvation, uh, but we do it because we love God. We do it because we love God and we love one another. And so things like um, the fear of death or the sorrow at death, you know, all of these things can be tempered and ought to be tempered by the gospel, because ultimately they can be against the first commandment, you know, especially when, when the death is horrific. Like if you lose a baby in the womb or, um, if you lose a child in a fire, um, you know, those deaths are horrific. And the temptation is, is to not fear love and trust in God above all things. Right. Yeah, because the temptation in those situations is, you know, to say everything's going to be okay when... <laughs> when it's not. It's I not mean, okay. It, it's not okay in this life. Death and is it an gets enemy. to the point where where those who do not believe in Christ or God will use that against us. Well, they say, you know, if this is the case, if there really is a God, why do they explain why these things happen? Mm-hmm. And, and they think, well, you're just presenting something to help people feel better. Mm-hmm. And it's a very naive way of looking at life. I mean, that, you know, and it gets old, right? Well, God has a plan for your life, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's not untrue, but it might not be true in the way that you think about it either. <laughs> um, God had a plan for Jesus' life, too. Mm-hmm. And what was that plan? Well, I think we're, we all lived longer on earth than he did. Yeah, I mean, you know, so that's the thing. It's like, look, guys, um, I mean, look, there was a plan also for Joseph's life, and it was one of suffering for many, many years. So the thing is, is that we ought to take human suffering seriously, just like Jesus does. And that's the difference. Jesus is not indifferent to this woman's plight. He tells her to stop weeping because he actually raises the dead. So, So the goal is is because a lot of people think, you know, the, the, we, we're just here to help people generally feel better. Mm-hmm. No, we want we do want people to feel better, but because there are true realities behind it. Yeah, that we have a Lord who can actually raise the dead. We're not here just to help people feel happy. Right. 
And, you know, and also to remind Christians, too, that being angry with God and over-excessive weeping, it is a sin. Mm-hmm. It actually is a sin. Um, it is a sin to be angry with God. It is. And it is a sin to um, simply spend your days in blank despair because it shows that there is no trust, that God does raise the dead, that he can make things better. If not in this life, then in the next. And that Christ actually has been raised. But how you address that sin is different. Yeah. You know. Well, and but you know what? Jesus, uh, I'm not saying you need to do a blank thing, but look, he, I mean, he's very blunt here, right? Yeah. He says, don't weep. Right? St. Paul deals with it in in a different way in First Thessalonians, right? Mm-hmm. He says, you know, we we grieve, but not like those who have no hope, so, right? So, so there are times where bluntness, because I think sometimes we we try to be more merciful than God, and uh, it doesn't work. So, so, so let's say the way the way if you we're dealing if I'm talking with someone who's dealing with some pretty serious depression, for example, mm-hmm. right? I, I will be direct, perhaps, and I'll say. In a sense, I won't say stop being depressed, that's a sin, because that won't get you very far. <laughs> yeah, but... But I would say this, though. I would say, you know, your brain is telling you one thing, but what does God's Word say? Well, and but they have to know, too, it's a sin. Mm-hmm. Like, because I think we have, like, and the Church, in a lot of ways, has not called a thing what it is, right? Why does Why do their brains malfunction? Why do I have bad eyes? Why do people get cancer? Because of sin. Because of sin. And not just because uh, of sin in the world, but because we're sinners. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we actually do deserve much worse than anything we've gotten. Right. And doubt is a sin. Right? Mm-hmm. It's against the first commandment. Right. But the, the, the interesting thing about like depression, even though it is a sin... There is, on behalf of the someone who is depressed, a desire to get better. Right, there is. Right, they, they, there, they don't want to. They don't want to be that way. There's a mm-hmm. desire, really, to to get better. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you, there was the same thing them. in Saint Paul, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know that nothing good dwells within my flesh, right? And it's the inability to always fight these things. I mean, like. We just have to be serious about it, right? Mm-hmm. This is one of the things, this is one of the reasons why we die, right? That we sin. Uh, and depression is a sin. It's a malfunction of the body. Why, like I said, why do I have the physical ailments that I have? It's because of sin, right? And the not by we, your, Yeah, you're not saying, though, you know, you're not, because someone might hear that, oh, I'm depressed because I'm, I've done, I did this when I was younger, or. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and the thing is, is I can't say that. Right? Right. I can't put one sin to one sin, um, but in other cases, you certainly can. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm s- habitual drinkers, and then they over drinkers, and they have cirrhosis of the liver. It's pretty easy to know how that happened, right? right. I mean, so while there isn't a one-to-one, we can't, al- we can't also be af- afraid to say, hey, look, you know, your family's a wreck because you ran out on your wife. <laughs> I mean, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... Because that's what happened, right? So um, we shouldn't be afraid to say those kind of things because they're true. 
and there are consequences for sin. So, Vicar, you're getting quite the education in uh, homiletics today. One thing I will point out, as we pointed out, the various approaches to a sermon is the fact that to use the varied approaches to writing a sermon. Mm -hmm. So if you try to do the plot sermon like three weeks in a row, your sermons would become boring. They'll be like, oh, we know where he's going with this. Right, people would catch on. Mm -hmm. So the reason why we have these varied ones is some text will lend itself to one more than the other. Yeah, I mean, narratives are great for homiletical preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are others that, you know... The, now, the plot works can work can work for if you're preaching an epistle reading as well, because you can talk about uh, the, the problem that was behind the scenes in the letter, what was going on at the church at Corinth, or mm-hmm. what was right. going on in Ephesus, and you can tell that story. Um, yeah, you just... The big thing is, is you just don't want to force the text to fit a particular model. Okay. Let the does, does that does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's a way. I mean, this is unfortunately how a lot of preaching has gone. You know, law, gospel, missions, or law, gospel, sacraments, or whatever, and that's just a very right. I, I mean, <laughs> or you have the the uh, um, I I have uh, five illustrations that relate to the text, and my job is to take those five illustrations and then uh, nicely tie them together, and boom, fifteen minutes. <laughs> and there are some texts that end with law, very strong law. Yeah. Like the uh, parable of the wedding banquet, right? I tell you that none of these men who were invited shall taste of my supper. This is the gospel of the Lord. Right. I mean, you know, there's... <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> but yeah, there... I, and I think that's the thing, to speak the way that the text speaks. You know, you can use some of these... These are kind of like skeletons, right? Right. And so but, uh, so, so you, you think of... Uh, the effect that the text had on the intended audience that Jesus spoke, for example. Then you take it, you want the hearer to have that same reaction. Mm-hmm. Your goal, in a sense, is to bring about whatever change Jesus did, have that the, that in mind. So, I just find this interesting when you talk about that, how these people had those two different responses, the prophet... And then the other one, God has come to his people. Mm-hmm. And there, it's interesting when you look at what was that crowd thinking, and then what is this crowd thinking, and try to right. tie it in. So I have a question. Did you say we've been at, what, 45 minutes? An hour. Have you learned this much in 45 minutes of preaching at the seminary? No. <laughs> But sometimes you learn things in even less time when you see somebody get up in front of the class and, and do something, and, and you think, man, that's that's pretty slick. I want to mm-hmm. try that sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get well, you'll get a lot of that in Winkle and that sort of thing, too. So you'll see a lot of interesting uh, approaches. Good. So it'll be awesome. So we should do something fun. Peter, find us a question. <laughs> Peter, find some fun. Uh, I wanna, we haven't found anything that bothers Berg. How quickly, computer, you find something that'll bother Berg? Let me see if I have anything in my bag of tricks. Hey, Peter, play that intro. There's fake news. There's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, we set up a good teaching you all these things, and then you give us that lame thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
be honest, Berg, you were just a li- when you heard him say that, you were just a little disappointed. It was more energetic than I thought it would be. So, yeah, but he, he doesn't get the words right. Play I don't know. the intro. I, I figure it's just uh, I figure it's just uh, his little mark on our epic podcast. I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> Vicar, let me explain. We have high standards, okay? okay. Yeah, high standards. High Look how professional our logo standard. is, okay? Professional. Yes. High standards. Totes I'm, profesh. I might have to be in uniform then to do it right, so maybe we should get those made. Heck, well, you guys are dressed better than I am, so with your butt, your uh, three-button polo. Well, that must be a favorite shirt, Berg, because like... I'm looking at it. You can't tell what it is anymore. No. All the stuff on it has just melted away, and it's just a green shirt with... Like little flecks of right. stuff. Right. Yeah. It looks like you kind of threw up some... You got... Threw up a little paper mache on your shirt. This is... That, uh, this used kinda... to be my Cones of Dunshire shirt. Because I figure, look at a shirt. Doesn't it look like when your your child spits up on yeah. a car ride? Yep. Or what's on my <laughs> sleeve after church when I'm sitting next to a two-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I know. I can tell that's a, but not in a gross way. I don't mean it, it looks like you it just needs stumbled, to, like you threw up on your car and you walked into the studio. It needs to go away. Actually, that's probably one thing that bothers me is like, I'm going to have to give this shirt up soon. So does, now that you're married, does she make like certain clothes disappear? Well, if she has, <laughs> I I don't notice it. So I had a favorite hat that I pulled out of the trash twice. Oh, I don't know where it is now. So it must be gone again. <laughs> All right, Vicar, so what'd try, you find? Well, Vicar, try again. Let's get a good one here. Try again, Vicar. Hey, Peter, play the intro. There's fake news. There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that bothers Berg. That was okay. Yeah. Okay. C plus. C plus. All right. So what do you, I have. What do you call a pastor that got all C's in seminary? Pastor. 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 So I have a. Uh, <laughs> An article from WLOX. Uh, looks like it's in... Uh, uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. Biloxi, Mississippi. Okay. Uh, the title is, Argument over Bible verses lead to strangulation murder charge. Now, this this probably makes Berg happy. <laughs> that someone cared about the Bible that much. <laughs> I just want to know what they were talking about. It doesn't uh, say... W- w- it just says... Say, an argument over Bible verses led to a fistfight that ended in strangulation and death of one man and a second-degree murder charge for another. So it doesn't say much. It just says that that is something that happened. It is It is disturbing because, basically, what should have created faith led to them exercising, you know, the the works of the flesh. You know, that's, that, that's what makes me sad. Is I, have a, I have a question. Uh, you're the historian for the podcast, okay? Could that he- headline right there, uh, could that be a one-sentence description of the Reformation? <laughs> uh, yeah, just change strangulation to burning. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, it is just... I yeah. feel like they're trolling Christians a little bit. Probably. Like, look what your book does. yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the thing. Rather than letting the Bible passages, you know, because didn't we just have that reading about the works mm-hmm. of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? And this is not the fruit so, of the Spirit. So, so I, I'm going to—let's try and guess, since we don't know what verses they were arguing about. 
my my guess might be whether uh, Jesus being the bread of life was actually about the Lord's Supper. Now, now you're talking about a seminary uh, argument. I'm surprised there haven't been more strangulations on the campus, on the seminary campus. Maybe it's about uh, the authenticity of the end of Mark. Maybe. Oh, we just had that discussion down in Oskaloosa. It's probably <laughs> about Labor the Day. Joseph knew her not, um, the perpetual virginity of Mary. That's probably what it was over. Could be about the prodigal son. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you like to venture a guess oh, of what boy. it might be? I don't have any guess. You think they were arguing how how long a, a day was at the at Genesis? I, I think it was probably like whether it's revelation or revelations. Oh. It would be ironic if it was like an argument on the, uh, like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. Right, blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> or you know, um, if uh, if your enemy, you know, slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, and you know, I'm have this is really. Let's what else, Vicar? Come up with something. Help me out. Oh, what could they be arguing about? Maybe about Joseph's coat. What color was it? Okay. I don't know. Maybe they're talking about uh, arguing about John's baptism, whether it is actually a baptism or not. Mm-hmm. Or did Deborah preach? Ah. Oh, lady preachers in the Bible. There you go. At what time or does the book be... of Job take place? Oh. That'd be a yeah, that'd be a good one. When uh, how about when John the Baptist slept in the womb? Was it uh like a two foot plant or was it a one foot gather? Or did uh, Mary <laughs> sing the Magnificat? As she was meeting Elizabeth, and that's the the greeting or salutation that. Uh... Mm. Yeah. So I have a question, Berg. What what argument over a Bible verse w- led you the closest to a fist fight? Like where someone interpreted a verse, and you you thought to yourself, "I want to punch that guy in the face," because I know that's probably happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to choose which time. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying going through the Rolodex. <laughs> Man. Um. Oh yeah, I can't talk about it on, on here. <laughs> that one I can't talk about. Um. I I think it was a. I actually one of them because there have been many. Um. One of them was a actually one of your vicar's uh um exegetical presentations. Oh. At a Winkle one time, and. Uh, it was really boring for like the first twenty minutes, then it got super weird. So okay, <laughs> Vicar, don't do that. Yeah, I'll try not to. So we can talk about it later. <laughs> now all the past so, vicars listening to this podcast. Uh, yeah, like, all the past me? vicars listening. Was it, was you? it I? <laughs> was it I? Was it I? <laughs> he who dips the bread in the dish with me. Uh, by the way, one one quick note. Uh, Hannah sent me a text. She noticed I haven't been updating the book. Can you imagine me starting a book and not finishing it? No. <laughs> she What's, said what, she might. What, what are the odds? <laughs> What's this book? Uh, I'm doing a book club with Carl with with Bullhagen, okay. where I'm I'm uh, walking us through uh, the My Pillow uh, autobiography from uh, crack addict to CEO. Wow. And the uh, the title of that book was 
What are the odds? What are the odds? So are are you still? I only got to the crack part. You said right. you said doing like you haven't stopped. Have you stopped? Um, it's just I, I haven't restarted. It's it's on hiatus. It's an it's a it's a focus thing. You see, when you have tension issues, which is why Berg is so surprised that we're still doing a podcast. You get a big burst of energy, and you like to do new things. It's the carrying out and finishing because all of a sudden we get excited about something else. Yeah, because we you're get like bored that with dog from Up, where it's like you're talking, you're talking, squirrel, and then back to it. Really it's, no, it's that? not back to it. It's like uh, or something else. Well, squirrel, and, oh, and like I said, you know, this is like because it's not like we do a whole bunch of these at one time, right? You know, the most we we've done are like two in a two in a day, and uh, so this has been like consistent forever, which I like. I said I am surprised. <laughs> I mean, you're the fourth vicar on the show. I feel privileged. So can we stop now? All right. <laughs> okay, hey, Vicar, uh, where can they reach us at? Well, they could email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. Find us at, on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, or on Twitter at p for podcast. And thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your preaching be a little better. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.